fell into complete disrepair, and the theater next to us was a porno theater. And the Jubilee a, Theater was a what? <laughs> yeah, they, they were showing porn movies here. And, I had no idea. And then uh, there was, you know, the liquor store was on the corner, and this was just a terrible neighborhood. And then the guy behind you, Jimmy, who runs Mission Waco, uh, what, 35 years ago, 30 years ago? Yeah. He started Mission Waco and, to, and moved into this neighborhood and started and it was set up all kinds of programs. Mission Waco runs this. I've heard first of Mission store. Waco, but I've just never seen what they actually. Well, you're sitting right in the middle. Yeah, of it. right, right. And go buy some. And then the guy, <laughs> the guy in charge, is sitting behind you. Yeah. And. Uh, the guy next to him, John, is the new executive director, and Jimmy's kind of, I don't think he's retired, but he's kind of moving away. Yeah, right, right. John Callaway. I think I just call him Jimmy John. Jimmy John. <laughs> That's pretty good. But, but one of the things they're trying to do is, you know, this is a, was considered a food desert. There weren't any stores here. Yeah, yeah. So Mission Waco opened this store over here to provide food for this neighborhood where people could walk to. And it's been struggling. And um, one of the problems is a lot of the people here are on food stamps or program. Yeah, yeah. So what they do is they'll go in there and buy their stuff at the first of the month when they get their snap cards filled. And then the rest of the month their business just tails off because nobody's got any money. And so what Jimmy's been trying to do is he's trying to get more middle class people to shop, shop there. The store. So what I do, I've got a grocery list in my pocket. So after I finish breakfast, I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna buy those things. It's limited what they have. Yeah. So I'll buy what I can here and then I'll go home and put it away because it'll yeah. include eggs and milk. And then later I'll go to H E V and buy everything else that I can't buy here. <laughs> yeah. You know. Right. Like that's a bottle of wine. Yeah. That's a good that's a good So you feel like you're kinda of supporting Mission Waco at the yeah, same time. I absolutely. gotta buy this stuff. So Sure, sure. And I don't care whether it's expensive. I mean it's not gonna be extravagant. I don't think. No. No, you're not talking like twice the price. Not, not uh, big differences. Or anything. It's some kind of contribution. Uh, I think kind that's good. Yeah. I mean, every little bit helps. I think. And, and eating here is, is okay. it's part of the mid part of the yeah because they hired local kids and people who and also they have volunteers. Yeah. I've I've um, researched various places to volunteer around Waco and Habitat for Humanity is obviously one of them but then I started getting involved at the Heart Texas Veterans One Stop in the Marine Corps League here and that started eating up my time but uh, whenever I see posts about this on the internet or Facebook I, um, I'm always intrigued by what they do here because it's very community involved and that's that's the kind of thing I like to do Are you new to Waco? I've lived here since uh, 2014 I was here originally in 2010, but then I ended up going to Afghanistan, and I didn't come back. Um, so where are you from? Uh, Kearns, a little town called Kearns, Texas. Yeah, yeah. Is, that near, is that near Kearns City and down near San um, Antonio? No, no, it's actually out by uh, Corsicana. Cedar Creek Lake. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, okay. Cedar Creek is the biggest attraction around there because it's like the second largest man-made lake in Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. When, when I drive east somewhere, I always go through Corsicana and then go through Kearns and go over to Athens and then yeah. to the north and go up to uh, 
Longview or Tyler or uh, where's where's the big first Monday's Hill uh, Canton Canton okay and yeah. then I hit I thirty or I there's twenty twenty at Canton. Yeah, and if I'm going to 30, I keep going north up toward Sulphur Spring. Yeah. Ugh, Sulphur Spring. But I drive, you know, I taught school in Ennis for six years. So Did I, you? I'm familiar with that neighborhood. My mom and uh, her dad, so my mom and my granddad are from Ennis. Okay. Yeah, my mom ended up moving to Corsicana and graduating from there, but they she grew up in the Ennis area. What brought you to Waco? By reserve situation. Um I saw us four years active, four years reserved. In the Marines? Uh, well, in the Navy, actually. That's how I, that's how I know Bob. Uh, well, that in church. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, He was a Navy corpsman assigned to the Marine Corps. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because the Marines, they don't train their own medical personnel. Um, they don't train their own medical personnel. They don't train their own chaplains or religious personnel either. So the Navy has so to they, supply those. They steal from the Navy. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> when I was in reserves, one of my... One of my duties, or one of my positions, I was the commanding officer of our unit called uh, NR-214, Naval Reserve, 2nd Battalion, 14th Marines. So my unit, for paper purposes, all of the Navy personnel that were assigned to the Marine Corps were mine. Mm-hmm. And that included corpsmen, doctors. Yes. Uh, go ahead. I'm going to have a call for it. Over easy with uh, bacon, please. And the pancake biscuit toast? Uh, no pancake, just uh, biscuit or something. Biscuit. I'm not eating, I'm visiting. Okay, you freeze it. Uh, the breakfast burrito, please. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also add bacon, sausage, or ham, and any of these additions. Oh, okay, alright. Uh, with bacon and jalapenos. Okay. That'd be it for you guys. That's it. So anyway, I had I was responsible for all the Navy personnel that were signed in the Marine Corps in this is in Dallas Reserve Center up there. So I had this really mixed bag because I had naval gunfire officers, I had the chaplain, I had corpsmen, and I had I think I had a lawyer, <laughs> and they didn't really work for me on a day to day basis because they all chopped to the Marines. But I was responsible for all the admin and then yeah, paid right. and all that stuff. Yeah. That's a, that can be really, uh, really a mess trying to to navigate all of that because you've got different pay rates, different ranks, uh, different entitlements, and, I, and different rules. I was working indirectly. I was working for a Marine Corps colonel yeah. who didn't understand that I was serving two masters. Yeah. And so we got crosswise sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened a lot of times with our um, on a on a on a individual level when you're working with uh, platoon sergeants and people that have to plan out your daily activities for around thirty or forty guys. They need to know when you're going to be available and what you're going to be doing whenever you're doing it. And it's, it's like, well, you know, the needs of the battalion aid station and my medical personnel changes from day to day because I never know who's going to show up for sick call or yeah. for injuries or for whatever. So uh, in the morning, the first thing I do, exactly, the first of the morning, the first thing I do is I go to the BAS and I check in there to see what our needs are and I remember this is this like the most striking memory I have of working in Garrison was a tall big stocky guy he was a, he was a medic he's a corpsman and um, 
he talked at like 100 words a minute. It was just fast, fast, fast. He was just fast fire dude. And uh, we've got eight people lined up for sick call in the morning. And uh, he's, he's fed up. He's sick and tired of people coming to sick call for some reason. God forbid a corpsman has to work. And uh, <laughs> he's standing there and he's like, what are you guys all doing here? I'm, you know what? We're just going to do this right now. What's wrong with you? Okay, you need to go get some meds from the hospital. What's wrong with you? Okay, you can go to the store and fix that. What is what's wrong with you? <laughs> he's just he's just lining That's out. Called triage, yeah. but in a very unusual manner. In a very unusual and a very, you know, unforgiving manner. It's like you can you can come to us and the whole point of the battalion aid station is to meet your needs at your level so you don't have to go to the hospital or to the the H E B or the PX or whatever it is that you go to. Um, you can get it from us. We have the meds, you know, on hand. Well, some of them at least, like over-the-counter cough syrup and pain meds and stuff like that we kept. But the things that were a little more uh, exotic, we didn't keep those there. Um, anyway, so we were just, he was just breaking down like six guys he sent and told them to, to just go take your meds and go rest for a couple hours and go back to work. <laughs> they learned to hate him because uh, he wasn't having it. They were trying to get it on their record that they came in for this so that it was documented. And he's like, no, we're not going to waste our time with that. You're not, you're not really injured. You're not really sick. You just got a cold or flu symptoms or something like that or upper respiratory infection. He ruined their day. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never going to get that. Adam Sherling. Yeah, he, uh, he drove a Ford Bronco. <laughs> it's like an 80s model car. This is 2008. <laughs> Next trip. New York. I just came from there. Yeah. Well, I have a friend that lives there, and I'm going to visit. I was supposed to go in August, and she's brilliant. You know, she's a professor, Columbia grad, and very New Yorkish, and I'm not. But um, so I've made plans, and I said, "How about these dates?" Oh, fine, great. So I bought my ticket. She emails me a day or so later, oh, I forgot, I'm having a colonoscopy the day they were coming. And I'm like, how does one forget Get that the colonoscopy. Having, oh, well, I forgot to check my calendar. I said, well, Nancy, I thought that's what you did. Oh, well, go ahead and come, I'll be fine. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is just not convenient. Plus, I had some friends coming in from France, some acquaintances. And so I said, let me reschedule. So I rescheduled for September. It's usually a trade-off somewhere in your life yes. where you have, you know, some sort of brilliance or intelligence you're lacking in somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe you're just oblivious to other people around you or something like that. <laughs> now you're a nurse, right? Still am. I haven't given up my license yet. But are you working at all? No, I'm totally retired. What was your specialty? I had several. Did you? (laughs) Well, I've been a nurse for almost 50 years. Oh, my gosh. So I worked ICUs, ERs, and then I was a nurse paramedic in Austin, Texas, which was really fun. Then I I went to anesthesia school and I was a nurse anesthetist. That's where you get the money. And then the last nine years, um, I didn't want to do anesthesia. I always feel like to to do anesthesia proficiently, you have to do it regularly. Maybe not full time, but regularly. And I didn't want to do that. 
So I worked in nuclear cardiology and did nuclear stress tests. Wow. That's my checkered career. I've had so many of those. <laughs> so yeah, paramedicine was my bread and butter. Um, we did uh, a lot of trauma injuries and a lot of trauma treatments, care to fire, um, casualty collection points, uh, triaging in the field, you know, tactical medicine and stuff like that. So hospital medicine and, and civilian triage is in my strong suit. You kind of get exposed to that because you're expected to know it. But, Yours uh, is a more intense. Uh, sure, really right. A lot more. It can be a lot more serious injuries. All yeah, the yeah. Uh, amputations, broken bones, gunshot wounds, uh, concussive blast injuries, um, a lot of brain damage. A lot of brain damage. Uh, in fact, one of the, one of the turret gunners on my convoy was uh, given a TBI with grade three concussion, and uh, he got a purple heart for that one. But um, that changed him. His personality went down the toilet. But he's rehabilitated now. He's a soccer player in Florida. And he's got oh, that's kids good now. for the brain, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that yeah, would be, yeah. Hitting the ball with yeah. your head. Yeah. Right. That'll help your head. Yeah, do headers with that. <laughs> but he's, he's really turned things around. Like the, once, once that happened to him, the military just wasn't for him anymore. They had to separate him. But... He, he turned, his, he turned well, things around. Well, was he unable to do his job? Uh, he had a, it's a personality conflict. Okay. Uh, he, just, he just became too mean, too aggressive. Um, he stopped shaving. He stopped cutting his hair. Like, they had to get on him every day to go to the barber, shave your face. And his discipline just went in the toilet. And this is an infantry marine, and infantry marines have to have the highest discipline, you know. As, well... Not counting special forces like Marine Raiders or Marsoc or any of that stuff, but they, they have to set the example for all the other regular Marines. And uh, when I say regular, I mean not special forces. <laughs> so his, his discipline just went in the toilet, and uh, he was, you know, confrontational. And that's It was the traumatic brain injury that did that to him because he wasn't like that before. And uh, he, just, he, he got separated, and he went to therapy, and he got rehabilitated, and he really... He really turned things around. He's a lot better now. Good. He's a lot better. Good. It's been a few years since then. I think it was it was 2008. It was June of 2008. Where was he when he got injured? We were right outside the city of Fallujah. So okay. this, this is crazy how this all happened. We, um, I had been going with on patrols every day for six days. The other corpsman that was with me, you have two corpsmen per platoon, which is around 30 Marines, give or take. And uh, they went out on a three-day mission where they were observing some neighborhood. They came back, and uh, the guy that I'm working with is like, hey, you haven't had a break for the past week, so tonight, when we go out on this mission, you're gonna stay here and you're gonna rest, and tomorrow we'll start again, and we'll just go back to the trade-off. He would go a day, I would go a day, and then so on and so forth. And th this particular night, it was June uh, 6th, 2008, um, I ended up going in the first vehicle, and he ended up going in the back because we were going to escort them somewhere, and they were going to get dropped off. We were going to go in a village, and then they were going to walk back. So we go out on that, that, uh, that trip, and as we're crossing onto one of our major roads, there was a homemade explosive stuffed inside of a pipe that was huge. It was about as long as that table, um, and it was shoved uh, along some sort of hill. It was meant for people to be walking past but we were driving past and there was a truck that was probably like 60 70 yards away that had a uh, copper wire strung out to the bomb and so they pressed the button and it went off and i was in that truck when that happened so uh, our turret gunner dropped he dropped like a 
sack of potatoes. He just fell. And when he fell, he fell on top of the dude that was in the passenger seat in the front of his vehicle. And then the driver got his head rocked because the blast was so strong that it just, you know, if we hadn't been in those trucks, we would have been me. It would have, thank you. It would have, uh, it would have chopped us up good. Yes, please. Everybody was injured, but not killed? Uh, not killed, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we had two guys that had to get evacuated. Uh, they flew, one guy to Germany, and then they flew, Chong is his name. Chong went to Germany, but then he went to the U.S. after that because Germany wasn't equipped to, to care for him. And then um, Stoner was the driver. He ended up coming back to us after about a month. Yeah. And uh, all the other guys were just giving him, you know, these dirty looks because they thought that you know, his injuries weren't that bad, but they, they were that bad. He had his, he had his brain scrambled. Yeah. And so <laughs> some of my bad. my hearing got messed up after that, and uh, it's hard for me to drive at night anymore. But um, since that since that time, you know, just when he when he was knocked out, I've never seen that sort of body bodily reaction because he uh, – I'm sure you've probably seen it in boxing matches. When guys get knocked out, they just sort of go limp and fall over. He seized up, like his hands just clenched up into fists and he fell right down. And uh, I had to get a smelling salt to wake him up. But now, now doctors are saying that when you have a concussion patient and they're unconscious, you need to let them sleep because it's more traumatic for the brain to go unconscious and then reboot again. It has to come to, come to its senses on its own. That's what I've been told. And um, that wasn't the strategy at the time. At the time, you needed to wake them up. And assess them and get an idea of their mental well, status. Well, that's been my training too. Yeah. You try to get them to respond so yeah. you can assess. Yeah, so you can assess them. But I just did a blood sweep and I checked for any bleeding. He didn't have any blood coming out of his ears, which was a good sign. But uh, he, um, man, he, we, we took a 20-minute drive to the hospital, and I manned the turret gun while we did that. We took a 20-minute drive, and uh, by the time we got to the hospital, he didn't know what was going on. So he was, he was completely out of there. Um, they had him hooked up into all kinds of machines, and I'm never going to forget it because they had to they had to assess me too. The doctor had to take a look and use a sonogram and look at my internal organs and all that good stuff. And uh, our Marines come in to say, you know, see what's going on, and they see me goofy and smiling, waving at him because I'm okay. It's like, hey, what's up, guys? And they just look so disappointed because the other two guys are really seriously injured, but I'm over there okay. <laughs> it's like this clown is all right, but these other guys are going to have to go to the you know intensive care. Anyway. Yeah, they, they evac them. And then um, we had one guy, and it was, it's unfortunate what happened to him because I don't, I don't know why. I don't know the whole story, but um, he already had two concussions before this one. This was his third concussion. And at the time, they were um, considering. No, 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 no. no. Um, at the time, they were considering, like, if you had three concussions of a certain scale, then you were awarded a Purple Heart. And he met those requirements. So he got a Purple Heart, but... When, when I was getting ready to leave there and go to the reserves, he got in trouble out in town because he shot up a place and he actually killed somebody. Yeah. Um, That's kind of bad for your discipline. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he was a sergeant. He was a sergeant in the Marines. He'd been uh, jungle warfare trained. I mean, this dude was, he was a combat guy. He, he knew about warfare and all that stuff. And so something happened out in town. Um, I don't know why he brought his personal weapon with him, but he did. And things got out of control, and he ended up shooting someone. So did so, he get kicked out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They gave him, uh, I think they gave him 10 years up in New York. Oh, they sent him to jail? 
Uh, yeah, he went to prison. In a civilian. Because he killed somebody. Oh, yeah. He, he actually, when he shot that dude, he killed him. Um, and I think I think he's eligible for parole. So if he's out, he may, he may be walking the street right now. But I don't know. But his his mentality was that he was quick to get angry, and he had to keep asking what was going on. Like his short term memory was just crap. Um, after his after that night when we got hit by that blast. Uh, he kept coming in to our rooms where we were sleeping, and they weren't his rooms. So he would come and get in someone's rack and sleep there. And they're like, hey, man, you got to get up. That's my rack. You, you don't sleep where I sleep. That's like a, a violation of my personal property, man. Get out of here. My and personal space. Yeah, yeah. And so we had to kick him out of our room like three times in a week. And he, uh, he was just a mess. He was just a mess. And, yeah, that, that, that trauma. And, you know, one, the blast messing up his head but then two Chong fell on top of him and when Chong fell on top of him his head hit the uh, computer screen in front of him and cracked it and uh, that was it's called a blue force tracker I don't know Bob if you ever had experience so it's uh, it's a very high tech GPS system it gives you uh, real time locations uh, it gives you to- topography readings you can see where other people are at anyway so after, after that he was just Came a, he came a wreck. That he was a little hijacked from my era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Blue, the Blue Force Tracker was a, was a gift from God. That thing was just, it was so nice to have. And when it worked, it didn't always work. <laughs> Go ahead and eat. Don't keep it. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Don't keep it, but don't have us. Well, it is a little warm. So, is Tom still in Colorado? No, he's back. He's back. He just couldn't make it. Couldn't make it this morning. You said we would resume our routine next well, week. Tell him hi. I, I like Thomas. What acquaintances from France? How, how do you know these people? Well, I didn't, um, but I had a, a friend. He was a high school friend, and then, you know, he's an artist, and he lives in France. And he's here um, for one six weeks, taking care of family business and doing whatever he's doing. And these were friends of his, a Frenchman and his wife, who were doing a documentary on an old gospel blues singer. And so, anyway, it was one of those, they're just, I mean, they were kind of a couple, a husband and wife, and they, they have been staying in B&Bs. And I told Fanny, my friend, I said, well, they could, they're welcome. He asked me, could they stay with you and they'll pay you? And I said, I don't want them to pay me. That's, I feel awful. And I said, they're welcome to stay. So they stayed with me for a weekend. I never saw them except in the afternoon or evening. They were busy doing whatever filmmakers do. But really nice and very interesting. And um, so I'm glad that I canceled my trip because that was an opportunity. I didn't want to miss. So they're back in France now. And you're going to New York? What for? See this friend that had the colonoscopy? (laughs) (laughs) No, she's, uh, you know, we we go into the city and we just go to museums or we go hiking. I mean, she always comes up with great things to do, but... um, it was just not a good time in August, so now it's better about the women in September. And, and when was, you're in New York, you always have to go to a couple of shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, she's looked, and, and um, none of them, I mean, 
I don't know if we'll do that or not. She said, well, what about this one? It's sort of sad. I don't want to do sad. <laughs> and what about this one? It's depressing. No, I don't want to do depressing. Well, there's there's a lot of that going on in New York right now. So, I've gotten to that point in my life where I avoid anything that's violent or depressing or just dark. You know, there's, I want to be entertained and yeah. Enjoy the yeah. experience. I've gotten to I watch a lot of sports. I don't really watch much of anything else on television because it's depressing. <laughs> I went to these friends right here. They'll go, to, they'll go and sit through two movies in an afternoon. I don't have the patience. I can barely do one movie. But we went to see um, The Art of Racing in the Rain. Rain with the dog? It was so Sad. Well, the, I just cried. I, said, <laughs> I came and I to this movie, and all I did was cry and cry. The and book cry is really scene. good. The book is, is really good. Yeah. If, if the if the movie made you feel sad, the book will make you feel a little bit different because it's it's more of a success story. This guy that's struggled throughout his entire life to get his career on the on the ground, that finally does, and the dog was able to witness all of that. But you know? his wife, the dog wants to be a human. Yeah. So it's told to the dog's eyes, and the dog talks. And the, the, the book's great. The dog, which it opens with the dog old and dying, so you know what's going to happen, and then it goes backwards. But it was just, it was a heart that just pulled at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I just came from New York, and they had uh, Jeff Daniels mm-hmm. playing the role of Atticus Finch yes. in To Kill Mockingbird. Yeah. Did and you see it? Yeah, I did. Um, so when I was there, I was there for a week, and I was with a group of actors, and we were going up there to perform in a, at the Ray Theater Festival, which went on for about two weeks. So we were there for a little chunk of that, and um, during that time we had um, we had passes to go see two plays and uh, several of the attractions there, like the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. I got to see that; it was my first time there. Um, the 9/11 Memorial, which Ooh, was really I've cool. Seen that. that was really. Amazing. Yes, yes, it was. I was there 9/11. It was 9/11. I was there in February following that. Really. So, I mean, New York was suffering as far as they were, the hotels were getting great rates, the restaurants were. It was so moving. And then this, the, the last time when I was there a couple of years ago, I literally, I flew in, stayed in um, Lower Manhattan. Yeah, we did too. I was there to see um, a performer, and I never watched this. It was America's Got Talent, and it was this young boy. He was 15 and then 16, and I said, he's going to win. So I watched the whole darn thing, which is sort of boring sometimes. And yeah. Sawyer Fredericks, and he won. He's He's a he's a he's a natural. He sings, he composes, and he was 16 years old. Plays the guitar and he won. So he was performing in this little diving theater. So I I booked a flight, got the hotel, walked around, saw him perform, which was standing room only. And there were old people like me and young people. But in the meantime, I took a cab and went down to the 9/11 memorial. Went all the way to the top, looked around. Walked out, and there was on the memorial where all the names are was somebody with my name. I mean, wow. the last name of Farley, and it was like, ooh, gave me the chill bumps. <laughs> and then I turned around and came home the very next day. I mean, I was there 24 hours. Yeah. I object to you calling yourself old since I'm older than you. <laughs> okay, semi. I refuse to be old. Well, I mean, when you go when you go all the way to New York to see a 16-year-old perform, and they're all teeny boppers, and yeah. but there were people, you know. I mean, it was it was a real small club, real dark, and there were tons and tons of people. This this young man is an 
now he's been on tour ever since, so that's been, what, three years? So he's 19 or 20 now. He's very talented. It was so funny because, you know, they show you little clips behind the scenes, and he was, he was telling... He said, no, that needs to be, he was telling the orchestra, no, that needs to be in this key. And they were all sort of like, this 16-year-old's telling us how to play, but he just has a weird and unnatural talent. But anyway, so I was like, yep, won that one. And then I haven't watched America's Got Talent since. <laughs> he just caught my ear. There is a vibrancy about me. You know, I said, if I ever won the lotto, I never buy tickets, so I'm not going to win. <laughs> if I ever won the lottery, I would go to New York and rent an apartment on the Upper East Coast side for about two months. Everything you can in New York. Yeah. And then come home, and that would be it. I've got to go back. Yeah, I wouldn't want to live there, but no. I, I would love to stay there for three or four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Really. I've got to go back because there's so many things that we didn't get to see and do. Oh, I know. I didn't get to see the Empire State Building. I did get to go to Rockefeller Station, which was nice. Did you see a show? You mean Rockefeller? Plaza. Oh, Plaza. Yeah, yeah right. Plaza. <laughs> and Times Square and uh, Times NBC Square. Studios yeah. and yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty incredible. Um, and I would love to, like you said, stay there for a month or two. Was but, that uh, your first time? That was my first time. Yeah. Yeah, so it was exciting. Sensory, almost sensory overload. Yeah. Oh yeah, especially at night. It's, it's like it's almost daylight outside. Yeah. Oh, I was, the last time I was there was June 2001, right before 9/11. Oh yeah. And I took a picture of the twin towers, which we now have on our wall because it was just like two months later that it went down. I have a T-shirt that shows how old it is of New York, you know, the Empire State Building, the Twin Towers. I'll never get rid of that T-shirt because it's going to be the original. Yeah. What brought you to Waco? Uh, so when my when my active duty ended after my first deployment, uh, I had a reserve obligation that I couldn't get out of. I, I even asked my leadership if I could go to Afghanistan with the battalion instead of going to reserves. They're like, no, you, you, you got to go. You got you to go to the reserves. And so um, my battalion went to Afghanistan, and I went home to Texas because we were in North Carolina at the time. And uh, I spent, let's see, it was 2008. I spent three years here at the reserve center, and then I got activated to go to Afghanistan. So 2011, I was there until 2012. And then you came back to Waco? Yep, and then what I came back. What are you doing now? Besides well, going to St. Albans. Yeah, besides going to St. Albans. Thank you. Um, I was working at a industrial motor repair shop, but I got hit by an arc flash that burned my hand really bad. So I left that job and started drawing unemployment because uh, it really it made me very uncomfortable to to be in the working environment again because of how badly it hurt my hand. And I'm doing a lot better, so I'm back on the market searching for work again. Yeah, they um, when that happens. I was having trouble sleeping. Um, it brought up some uncomfortable memories of when I was in Iraq, and so I had to, uh, I had to go to therapy and counseling and, and get myself re-stabilized because I didn't want to jump into an environment and then be a risk to other people because my state of mind wasn't, you know, in a good place. But uh, how'd you find St. Albans? Well, um, my acting director in college, Dr. Shelley O'Neill has been an Episcopalian, Episcopalian her whole life. And she was talking about that whenever I was a student there in Corsicana. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was there, and I was also at MCC for a while. Anyway, 
when I was with her, she was talking about her, her religion and her faith. And uh, when I first came to Texas, I'm sorry, came back to Texas in 2014, um, one of my friends from way back when, I saw him when I was a student at MCC. And I said, hey, I need a place to stay in Waco. I'm back again. And he said, uh, well, you can come stay with us. We've got an open house. And so I moved into the house after about a week. And um, he is involved in the Antioch Community Church. And I stayed at that church for about two and a half years. And I just did not have a very good experience with the people there. Uh, I tried. I was in all these different groups. Uh, I was going to like games with them, uh, trying to do public events with them, uh, do some mission work with them, which was really nice. But in the end, I was like, this place is just not for me. And so I started looking again, and then uh, Dr. O'Neill, you know, she comes back into my life, and she's like, uh, yeah, you should come to my church sometime. And I was like, well, I can't always go to Corsicana, but there are Episcopalian churches in Texas, and there's one right down the street from where I live. So, because I drive past it, you know, Waco Drive. I used to drive past it all the time. And I had seen it before, and I was like, well, you know what, I'll just go visit. So I went and visited, and it reminded me a lot of my Presbyterian roots. I grew up Presbyterian at a church right across the street from our house. Um, they didn't do the kneeling and praying, but they did a lot of the we same do hymnal. Do a, a lot of <laughs> I say you get a workout going to church. <laughs> Calisthenics, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it felt a lot like the church that I grew up in. Now, we played a piano. We didn't play an organ. Uh, the church that I went to was not very affluent. We didn't have a lot of donations coming in. So they did the best they could just to maintain um, it was it was nice and it just reminded me a lot of home and so I just stayed. So how long have you been attending? Since November, so it'll be about a, it'll be a year this year. Good, well, welcome. And I, I know I've seen you. Yeah, you probably have. You look now. <laughs> I've been ushering. Yeah. And that may be it. Yeah. I, I started ushering in um, I think February, February or March. Okay, and I bet that's it. Well, I've got to run. I have another appointment. I wanted to come say hi. Oh, thanks for oh, thank you, Susie. Thanks for keeping nice up, Susie. Sue, Susie, Susie Farley. Farley. Far, Susie Farley. All right. Yes, I'm the one that got up. Were you there when I got up and talked about small groups? Maybe it was not this Sunday, but a Sunday. no, I was in New York. Yeah. Yeah, I was. So, um, what's his name? Neil. I said, could you get up and talk about small groups? And I was like, hmm. So I had to write my little speech. <laughs> so I wouldn't embarrass anybody. So. Yeah. I'm in uh, Larry, Lieutenant Colonel Larry's uh, small group. Thompson Adams, Adams yeah. Thompson? Yeah, whatever you call him. Yeah. Larry Adams Thompson and uh, his wife, Michelle. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in their small group. Okay. Bye, Susie. Well. It was nice to meet you. Thanks, Susie. <coughs> Thank you for coming to keep me company. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been good uh, having small group with them. I just it's hard for me to relate to their life story because they're all retired and established, and uh, they've lived pretty much most of their life, and I haven't. <laughs> well, you're just trying to get a good start. How old are yeah, you? Yeah, thirty one. Thirty one. Okay. Yeah, I was thirty one. I was teaching school in Ennis, Texas. Really? What uh? What subject? Or was it a drama teacher? Were you? Yeah, I went through college and got a degree in theater. Did you? And when I graduated, uh, my father was career Air Force, so I grew, okay. up, I grew up in the military. I know what the military was all about, and I didn't have any qualms at all about going in. But I also, my dad was a fighter pilot and an officer. Right? Okay. And so I knew I was going to go, and I figured if I'm going to go, I'm going to go as an officer. So. 
I graduated from college. I got accepted to Navy OCS and uh, and got my commission in uh, October of '68, and then by April of '69, I was in Vietnam. <laughs> Brand new butter bar, you know. What was uh, Officer Candidate School like for you? Well, it was compact. It was 18 weeks, and uh, a lot of it was military, military bearing uniforms yeah. and that stuff. But the, and also in the Navy, we studied. There was engineering and navigation and celestial navigation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was a challenge, especially for a theater major. I didn't have a strong math background. Yeah. And so things like Celestial Nav was a challenge for a guy with a BA in theater. You know? <laughs> uh, but I had a roommate who had a degree in electrical engineering from Duke or something. He was brilliant. And he, was, he was a great tutor. And so, you know, I didn't. I didn't buy a lot of my officer uniforms till the last couple of weeks, so I wasn't sure I was going to make it. You know. I'm sure I was right in the middle of the pack. I wasn't the bottom of it. I was yeah, in the middle yeah. of the pack. That's kind of how I was. Yeah. So I. And then, uh, you know, my son is an Army major. I don't know if I told you that or not. No, no. Uh, he's currently in Kuwait. He did two two tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. He's a lifer. Yeah. yeah. He's got 17 years in. Jeez. But. Uh, <laughs> I did eight, and that was enough. Well, he's uh, he's got 17 years active, and he's going to retire at 20. He's not going to stay beyond that. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it really surprised me when he went to military because he went to sent him off to college as a music major, and he had a music scholarship, and he was doing okay. And then he started his sophomore year, and he called me, and he said, all my friends want to be band directors. He says, I don't want to be a band director, so I'm dropping the music. And I said, well, you're on a scholarship. You can't. He says, but, he says, I got into ROTC, and they'll pay for my college. And so he got his commission through ROTC and, and graduated and got his commission and went to Iraq. So is he a unit commander, or is he a... In intelligence? No, right. Well, he's in right now. He's he's uh, an AG, which is pretty much personnel. Okay. His first tour in Iraq was a combat tour. His second tour in Iraq, he was what he call what he call him. Uh, A slang term for a guy that never goes out and does combat. He was, oh, a f- uh, fobbit. Yeah. Yeah. His second tour, he said he was a fobbit. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then he went to Afghanistan as a fobbit. Yeah. yeah. And now he's in Kuwait, and I talked to him Sunday, and he says, he says, you know, it's just like being at home. He says, I got to talk well. We, you know, we've got. You got to be careful. You really got to take care of yourself out there, or you're at risk of falling out of standard because of how convenient it is. <laughs> yeah, he says it's really hot, but he says I'm in air conditioned quarters. Yeah, and uh, you've got all the conveniences of home. Yeah, but his wife and family are in Kentucky, so he, that's the only hardship that he has sure, is separation. Sure. Yeah, and I know civilian contractors can get their families out there, but they have to arrange it through like customs, and they've got to get their own little piece of property, and it's it's not easy. Well, his son, my grandson, uh, has uh, type 1 diabetes. Oh, darn. And so they, they've got to stay close to the yeah. medical yeah. facility. In fact, he spent a year in Korea, and uh, he had his family with him. And they sent him home on a, a 
compassionate reassignment oh. because his son was having some issues yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Korean medical establishment couldn't handle it yeah. and the army didn't have any pediatric uh, assets there yeah and so they just they reassigned him after about a year it's supposed to be a two-year tour I think. but uh, yeah he's uh, I don't think he's uh, worried too much about Kuwait. I think he's having a good time. <laughs> Away from his it's, wife. It, it, can be, it can be pretty exciting, especially if you, if you get to know certain people. Uh, you can go out to their targeting ranges whenever you want to. Uh, you can get some practice behind the trigger if you, that that's your thing. That's what I enjoyed. Um, we did a little bit of that in Afghanistan. We, uh, we made a couple of ranges ourselves and shot, a, shot our own targets. So if you want to do that in Kuwait, you definitely can. And then the recreation they have out there, it's it's great. It's great. It's, no, I don't, you know, yeah. he said they didn't ever go into town. They didn't they really <laughs> didn't leave the base. I mean, you don't have to. Everything you need is on there. Yeah. Well, I want to go and do my grocery shopping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for inviting me out. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs>